0: Support for the We Need to Be Doing That podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's, below the waist, grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. I always call them that. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DOING20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscape.com. Make sure to use the code DOING20.
1: We need to be doing that. A podcast that combines sports, social media content, and life. Though we make no promises, we'll stick to those topics each episode. I'm Jonah Ballo.
0: I'm Keith Steckler. And on this podcast, we'll often focus on the sports content and creative we see and like, and share between the three of us.
1: We need to be doing that. I'm Elliot Gerard. These are the discussions we have most days in person or group texts. Now with the microphones on and
0: recording. We've known each other since 2009. We have experience in ad agencies and marketing, digital content across teams in the NBA, and creative for brands, teams, and athletes. Come on. We need to be doing that. On the podcast, a guy who is as solid off the field as he is on the field, linebacker for Wake Forest, most recently Carolina Panthers in the NFL. Brandon Chubb, how are we doing?
2: I'm great. Keith, thanks for having me. i excited to spill my wisdom on this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good. Well, we're missing we Elliot need it. tonight, so we need it.
2: Nah, I got you. I'll, I'll help cover.
0: Good. Awesome. So just to start, you know, for those that don't know, I'd like to just take it back to uh, childhood, if you will, and properly set the stage. So you came out of Wake Forest. You're signed as an undrafted free agent by the Los Angeles Rams. Your younger brother is Bradley Chubb, linebacker for the Denver Broncos. And your cousin is Nick Chubb, running back for the Cleveland Browns. And guys, it, it doesn't end there. Your father was drafted by the New England Patriots. So, you know, pickup games at the Chubb house must have been something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it was that culture, right? Growing up, seeing so my parents, their office was right in between me and my brother's room. And they had the Georgia Bulldog wallpaper. My dad had his framed uh, headshot or, you know, class picture looking picture. And then he had his team photo, his defensive photo, Georgia memorabilia, um, Georgia lights, Georgia Bulldog light switches and all my dad's, you know, memorabilia and, and old hats and bowl hats in the, um, on the bookshelf. So I always grew up, you know, idolizing my dad and, and thinking how cool that would be to, you know, be in that same situation. So growing up, you know, me, and my brother, uh, Nick is our second cousin, so he's a distant cousin. But, you know, being able to have family gatherings and always, you know, talk football and see each other grow as football players. Right. Seeing the dream become reality when Nick was a five star freshman year of high school when Bradley uh, grew four inches from his junior year to his senior year and got, you know, 30 offers in one summer off a torn ACL. So just being able to see all that meticulate was 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 beautiful.
0: I know you're the older brother, but that bond must've been special because, so those two guys go in the same draft class, but I read that you took a helicopter to the draft. Is that true?
2: Yeah, it's true. So the story behind that, I was going into my second year, uh, coming off of ACL tear. So going into my third year, actually, I was in OTAs with the Detroit lions going on year two with them. I was on IR the whole season. I tore my ACL mini camp the, the year before. And so I'm in the phase where I'm, I'm coming on almost 11, 12 months. So I'm rehabbing my ACL uh, there with the team. Patricia just became the head coach. So he's trying to change the culture and is, you know, a new sheriff in town. And I asked him, I went to him. I think the draft was on, the draft was on Thursday night because Brad went first round. I said, hey, um, do you mind if I miss the uh, phase one practice tomorrow? We have the draft. My brother's getting drafted. And he he looked at me and he said, who's your brother? Um and <laughs> I said, Bradley Chubb, blah, blah, blah. He's getting drafted. And he said, uh, well, you, no, you can't miss it. And so long story short, we have phase one workouts, whatever they call it, from nine to twelve. I think twelve was by the time I could get out the locker room. Delta, all the all the airlines had zero flights that would get me to uh Dallas before I think five o'clock. And the draft I think started at six thirty, and Brad's a top five pick. At this time, we we're thinking he might go number one, number two. So I gotta be there at the tip of the draft. So uh used Yelp, my favorite app on my phone and, and and found that there was a helicopter service that takes you from the airport to to Jerry's world and that you know kind of made sense in, in Dallas, Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. So charted the charted the private helicopter. It probably was a you know a a five minute flight but it literally took me over all the traffic and put me straight next to the next to the uh at&t dome and was able to walk across the parking lot and get there on time i, I literally if you watch the clip on nfl films when i enter the, the green room i literally get there and and the pick number one is already in they just haven't announced it so literally by the grace of god I got there in time and was able to take care of business and, and watch that moment
1: that's the move right the helicopter move is, is a way to make an entrance
2: a <laughs> way to make an entrance and it gave me the best instagram photo of my life so to this day that's still my best uh best instagram photo of me coming out the helicopter the, the 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 blaze still chopping above me my suit jacket blazer kind of swooshing with the air and I'm walking with the suit in a in a in a duffel bag in my hand so it was pretty pretty cool experience that was my draft night <laughs> you know so <laughs> you took over was, i got drafted and and that was my you know since i went undrafted that was my my five minutes of draft draft fame
1: no brandon coming up uh through a family who have uh, had such you know deep heritage in football and in history did you or did any of your family members feel any sort of pressure or was there you know this predestined sort of outlook that you that you were going to be a football player and that the surrounding family members would be involved in football
2: yeah that's a great question i don't think there was and then people ask that a lot i don't think there was any um Pressure for me to be a football player, right? So, growing up, I played all four sports soccer, baseball, football, basketball. And, you know, they trickled down by the older I grew. So, soccer was the first sport I let go of because I just couldn't, I wasn't about to run all that. And then um, I think baseball was next because I started getting the yips and started striking out a lot. And that was just very stressful. And then I, you know, stopped enjoying that game. And then, basketball came down to basketball and football. Eighth grade, I was a center. uh, So, I was usually taller than all the kids my whole life growing up. And in eighth grade, I kind of stopped growing and everybody started catching up to me. So center wasn't really my strong suit anymore, but I had no like handles or anything to play other positions. So then after eighth grade, basketball fell off. And that's when I, you know, focused on football, but it was never no pressure. It wasn't like my dad was saying like, hey, the, the moment he walks, he he's stepping on a football field. It, you know, my dad wasn't taking me in the backyard and throwing bullet passes at my chest and <laughs> and screaming at me to make me catch, you know? So it was just kind of one of those things. Like I said, I, we we kind of looked at him as our superhero. So we wanted to do things that he did and, and emulating him and being able to take that same picture in front of Stanford, uh, Stanford Stadium with the red and black on. So, but it, I mean, it was one of those things that if we, if we did a sport, he was going to be hard on us and, and make sure he pushed us, make sure we, you know, did the best we could in that sport. But if we didn't want to do it anymore, I mean, he was fine with that. I mean, I'm, I remember the day I wanted to quit basketball and I was so nervous to tell him because, you know, I'm eighth grade and he's spending all this money for me to play AAU basketball and stuff. And I told him, and he and was like, well, if you, you don't want to do it, like, all right, we won't show up at practice tomorrow. And he's like, are you sure you want to do this? I was like, yeah. And then that was it. So it wasn't really pressure, but, you know, being able to follow in his footsteps was definitely a goal.
0: Now, how was the um, the college process? I mean, Wake Forest in in that area. I mean, we talk about and and look, North Carolina's doing a great job in football, but it used to be North Carolina was the basketball school, and you know right. that conference has um, I think really improved over the years. But how was it in in college at Wake Forest for you? Uh,
2: it was a great experience. So Wake Forest offered me three days before or four days before signing day. So I was originally. Committed to App State, another North Carolina school. And this is 2011 at the time. So this App State was coming off that 2009 national championship. So they, they were a program I was excited to play for. And then Wake Forest uh, had a guy decommit. And, and commit to Georgia Tech last minute. So they had a spot open up, came to my high school that Thursday, said, hey, we, we were interested. We might have a spot for you. Took an official visit that Friday, Saturday, committed on Sunday, and then that Wednesday I, I signed the papers. And then being at wait Forest in um, the ACC was the most exciting part about it, right, when you think of the ACC, especially in the, the division we were in, was Florida State, Clemson, Louisville. Um, and so we always had a, a game to be be excited for right it wasn't like Clemson was playing I don't know a one in 11 school where they had to get themselves up and work themselves up for half of their their regular season games it was it was always a, a game that we were excited for playing Notre Dame and in, in South Bend twice and being able to just uh play at the highest level and prove myself that I should have been one of those guys that wasn't a last minute offer but a guy who could have you know had multiple offers in that same conference and same division so uh Way Forest is a great experience though came in as a DN redshirted my freshman year and that led me to be able to you know garner the skills that, and the instincts a linebacker needed and then after that the rest was history uh three-year starter two-year captain and and ended uh, my my career there as the uh unanimous linebacker of the year for the all acc first team so it was it was a great career great choice great school uh definitely serves me well now for sure um and love everything about it
0: we've spoken a few times about the importance of doing things um, off the field, building wealth. We talked about Hakeem before we hit record and, you know, things like guys just being smart with their money and, and building wealth in other ways and looking at football. And maybe your dad talked about this. I'd be curious to know, but looking at football as a pathway to other things, not the only path. Um, talk more about why that's been so important for you.
2: It's been a, it's been a huge uh, one because growing up, I think that's when when I say growing up and while I'm in college and, and NFL is becoming a reality or the next step, you see all these docs and you, you see the the going broke doc. You hear all these stories about people losing money and, and getting scammed from financial advisors, guys in retirement having no no idea what to do with their lives and being all you know miserable. And so you want to avoid that. And so my second year in the NFL, I tore my ACL, like I was alluding to earlier, and that that really turned the light bubble bulb on in my head to say, hey, like this is what it's gonna feel like when it's all said and done. Like, are you gonna be that guy who has no clue what to do, what what they like, what they're passionate about, how they can best uh, and effect- effectively use their skills, or are you gonna be that guy who has it all figured out or at least is on the right path to, you know, jump into a new career, jump into a new uh life and, and, and enjoy the other fifty, sixty years of his life. And so that really turned the light bulb bulb and I started uh, doing a lot of things, internships with the NFLPA. I did a pair program, which is the NFLPA has you come out to their headquarters once a month for three months and you do a workshop for three days and all these things, you know, networking, building my interest, knowing what I like, what I don't like, what I am good at, what I'm not good at, and, and really just gaining experience for the resume as well and being able to uh, use the shield. Justin Forsett, when I told my ACL, my agent, Lives in Dallas, Texas. I got my surgery done in Dallas by the Cowboys there. and Justin Forsett just happens to be his next door neighbor. And so Forsett's last year in the league when he after he retired was the, with the Detroit Lions, which was the year I was a rookie. And so me and uh, Forsett knew each other, and he he was always that wise guy in the locker room that was always getting the younger running backs in check or you know talking sense into him. And so he came on my agent's house, uh, and one of the pieces of advice he gave to me, was just, you know, use and leverage that shield while you have it. And he, what he meant by that is why I'm associated as an NFL player and make sure I use that to my ability. Right. Cause everybody wants to be around NFL players, no matter if they know your name or your stats or what school you went to, they want to be around you. They want to tell their friends they were around you. They want to tell, you know, their wife, their kids. And, and, and so leveraging that is what one of the big, biggest things I've done so far and biggest, uh, I guess, propellants that get me to where I'm at today.
1: You know, I've covered pro sports at uh, the NBA level and, you know, being on the team playing, seeing the guys, hearing them talk about things that are going on and contracts and, and sort of their lives. And it, it always struck me that it's such an opposite career arc as opposed to, you know, I would say a normal person going into into their career where it's a slow build. You build up probably in your forties, fifties, you probably then peak at your maximum, earning potential, as opposed to an athlete where your maximum earning potential peaks so early, and then you kind of come down and and basically your career, then you have to figure out those next steps and you're not going to be at that pivotal point. What do you think is the biggest stumbling block for maybe some athletes to to gain that understanding? You were so proactive and getting ahead of it. and, And what did you see from maybe some of the guys around you or younger guys that maybe created a difficult step to get to where you, you have gotten to.
2: Right. No, that's a, that's an interesting point. And I can uh, talk a lot about that. I'm going to actually answer your question first though, what I saw and I got lucky, right. And, and, and I believe everything happens for a reason, good, bad, or indifferent, everything happens for a reason. And so you just got to embrace that reason and find out how I can, you know, make this reason worth it. And so me being undrafted was that reason for me, right. Not getting a sign in bonus, making minimum salary every year in the league, uh, being on practice squad, getting practice squad checks sometimes, and realizing that even even though this might be the biggest salary I'll ever earn, salary I'll ever earn working for a corporation, mm-hmm. this isn't money that's going to. Uh, you know, I'm I'm 22 at the time. This isn't money that's going to change my life. This isn't money that is going to, you know, put food on the table for my kid when they're six six years old. So, being able to uh know that and, and realize that and just realize reality, right? Um, my coach, Steve Russ, linebacker coach from the Panthers, he said, he always says, the, um, uh, I forgot who it says, but man always knows his limitations. Man must know his li- limitations. So I always knew that I'm never going to be that, that Bobby Wagner, that Luke Keekley. Even though I might think I am, I'm never going to be that in, in reality, right? So being able to come to the realization that this is something that you need to get ahead on. And so I think the biggest thing for guys is seeing. 2 million dollars once they sign their name and they haven't put on the NFL helmet and then seeing, you know, $60,000 a week 17 weeks straight at age 22 and 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 that being really a psychological thing like you said, that's the most money they'll ever earn, but they also think that money's going to come every week for the 52 weeks in the year. So, um being able to come to that realization and conceptualize the real the real um earning potential there. And then I said, it's an interesting point because I was talking to somebody l- last night about this. And I've always thought this even when I was in the league, right? Cause I went to Wake Forest. So I have guys who are graduating with me that are investment bankers that are, you know, so they're doing the career, the grind, but at age 27, they're, you know, in a great position. They're VP at their firm, their partner, they're, they're doing something, you know, special. And so you got to think of, I'm an econ major. So I, I always think about opportunity costs, right? So the opportunity costs for me to Be 28, make less than two million dollars, and then had to start a career versus somebody who was 21, 22, was an investment banker, made you know bread crumbs, stayed up you know 19 hours a day to work, and now he's 28, and now their or earning potential arc is even higher, and it's only going to go up versus me. I just did like a J curve, and I dipped, (laughs) and now I'm kind of in the negatives relative to my my former conversation. And now I'm climbing that and I'm 10 years behind. So, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, interesting to, uh, always conceptualize that as well. Right. And so that's why Keith, to your earlier point, being able to, um, Work on your off the field stuff while you're while you're still playing, and and realize that you got to have something ready for you uh, post career.
1: It's so amazing too that you had that you know view of it and was able to really intellectually break it down and see the future there. Because I remember always hearing like Mike Tyson, and just you think about his career earnings and how quickly that went away. (laughs) It was like, you know, and and not understanding how quickly the money can go when you add in all the factors of managers, agents. Um, you know, people that are in your family and friends, yeah. you know, exactly. hang your honors, you know, all the, all the people yeah. who can, it can play a part in that. And if you don't come from a lot of money, if you don't come from a place and all of a sudden you're handed that, it can be such a challenge. Do you feel like the NFL in that regard, the NFL NBA, maybe some of the other leagues are doing a better job at educating players or are players educating other players and helping each other out because I got to imagine, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to to come from a family that was able to give me an education and money and, and and a great upbringing. But I can only imagine if you didn't come from that and all of a sudden you're handed a ton of money, how how quickly that could go if you just don't see the future like you did.
2: Right. I think I think the uh, the leagues you name they do both. Right. They they educate and they help and and other or and other players educate other players. Right. And so the information is out there now, right? If, if people are going broke in 2020 after they play an NFL uh, career, NBA career, I mean, that's just – the information is out there. And, and people are doing everything they can to help, there's resources on the NFLPA. As soon as you log in on their website, you'll see five different resources talking about financial stuff off before you even go to another page. So so the information is out there and then the players know, right? Like I told you, I grew up watching the ESPN 30 for 30 broke, which is very interesting. But at the same time, you're realizing, like, guys, you naming. I watched the profit episode with Mike Tyson and, and or not Mike Tyson uh, and Vander Holyfield. Yeah, I think he made one hundred and ten million dollars in career earnings and he has no pennies to his name. Not literally, but it was, it was sad. So the information is out there and being able to um, just uh, use it and use it to your advantage. And and if if you go, honestly, you just chose to ignore it. And, and to your point, a lot of these players, uh, NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever it may be, come from households where they're they're parents make less than what they make in a, in a game. Right. And so they get a $50,000 check and think, Oh, well, 50,000, I can do That's 3 you know, Toyota Priuses. Like, you know, I can do that right now. And then, so being able to, I came from the same background. My parents weren't rich by any means, but I was never wowed by, by seeing a, a, you know, a, a nice house or seeing, you know, an iPad.
1: LeBron James and what he has been able to accomplish is sort of flipping the script. Um, he's taking these things under his own power, his under control, his guys that he wanted. And I think he's kind of flipped it on, on the league. Also the contracts, right? He's like, no, I'm not going to sign a long, long long-term contract. I'm going to make, I'm going to put the pressure on the franchise, on the team to continually approve and put a championship squad around me. And he's kind of figured this out throughout his career. And I've found it fascinating from the outside, looking in and saying like, this is the blueprint. Now, not everybody's the LeBron James, right? But he is showcasing how do athletes now empower themselves? And I think Keith and I have talked about this a lot. And what we want to do in our careers is to work with athletes directly. And, and they should they own their content. They own their platforms. They're, there's not a need necessarily for the ESPNs, the Bleacher Reports, all these other things. Of course, the league is the league and they're sort of those salary cap uh, limitations and, and, and those types of things. But, um, off the court certainly can be under your control. What have you seen from sort of the modern day athlete and and the way they've taken sort of their content and their lives under their own control?
2: I think a great example is, uh, uh, Will Compton and Taylor Lewine with busting with the boys doing the podcast. So taking uh, two years ago, the highest office in line in the NFL, paid office in line ever in the NFL, and then taking a guy who has you know, a great, great locker room guy, great charisma, uh, everybody wants to be around him, and putting those two platforms together to make a platform where they can use the however many uh, people can sit in the uh, Titans stadium. But using that that audience right and using the people who are Titans fans to kind of build their platform, hear the content that gets them inside the locker room and, and gets them inside of, inside of NFL players' heads. And so I I think that's a great example. LeBron's your point. I mean, him coming from nothing, um, turning down a $19 million check at whatever age he was by Reebok and and that paying off for him long run with the Nike uh, contract he has now and and just everything he's done, right? With the one year deals and the examples you gave, I think are awesome as well. And then I've seen other guys who understand their platforms and use it to uh, get equity in deals, right? So Pat Mahomes, you see that a lot now. He's bio, bio still. He has equity in it. I think hyper icy equity in it, uh, being able to get uh, your, your, your brand to use um, influence and not always just getting monetary benefits, you know, that quick, easy, butt like LeBron turned down for, for Reebok or the other examples.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh busting with the boys. So I'll stay on barstool. I mean, take a look at Pac Maffey. When I mean, when people thought about what he was doing, they were like, you are crazy. Mm-hmm. He works his way up at barstool. And look what's going on. So that might have been a guy that just kind of saw where things were headed. Um, but I'm, as, as Jonas said, I'm, I'm so thankful that athletes are realizing they have their own platforms, the Uninterrupted, the um, Players Tribune. So
2: right, no, um, Pat McAfee, McAfee is a, a great example as well. I watch his videos on YouTube all the time, and I mean he has his own ESPN on YouTube, and it goes live for three hours. It was crazy, and I think he was ahead of his time. He saw what was coming, and I think he was in that paradigm shift of of how athletes take control of their platform and also how this content goes digital and he just saw it and, and, and great for him it's another guy who has great personality great charisma uh to to maximize that
0: yeah i watched him break down a highlight and i'm like you gotta get this guy in the booth man like, yeah, he is good. Yeah, he's good he really is how's um i know you're into podcasts and social media i mean how has that a lot of guys have a learning curve with that how's that been for you i mean have you just you figured out how to jump in. Or are you still trying to figure it out? I mean, how's it been going?
2: It's been going well. So I, my the my podcast, The Highlight Podcast, uh, had you guys on earlier this year. I did a season last year, 10 episodes. And what my whole podcast was about was just being able to bridge the gap between business business, and sports. Because I think I have one foot in both of those, right? And so you hear about... Um, pat mahomes on on sundays and what he does and how many yards he throws for and all the crazy no-look passes he does but you don't hear about the the ability to get equity in bio steel instead of taking a hundred thousand dollar annual check right and and, and using his influence and no, betting on himself basically knowing that his brand will make that one percent in bio steel more than a hundred thousand dollars annually down the road so being able to just hear stories and highlight other people so i was always a uh, a Creator, I don't think I want to say I'm creative, but I was always a creator, right? So, podcasting and then being able to adapt to that wasn't uh, really a problem for me. I, I always growing up would make uh, rap songs on, on GarageBand, and I realized podcasting to me is for me at least the way I do it, it's the same thing instead of me rapping, I'm just talking on GarageBand and being able to have that audio file and, and, and kind of edit it the way I want. And then, same with social media, I, I grew up or I didn't grow up in social media, but 2011, my freshman year of college is when Instagram came out. So uh, at that time, Instagram was just an app that you put your nice picture on and put cool filters on it, save it, and then send it to other people on Facebook, right? And so now it is where it is. So I kind of grew with social media, I would say, uh, and, and along their evolution curve. So uh, it, w- it wasn't an adjustment for me. I could see it being difficult for other players, especially older players or people who are, you know, less uh, tech savvy, but I think it we're in an age now that this digital medium is so easy, easily accessible and easy to to understand just the, the interfaces, right? And and everything is user-friendly. So I think the experience for everybody should be great.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier the uh, classes and the things that the NFLPA offers. Is social media part of that? I've always been curious. I mean, how much do they get into that?
2: Yeah, no, that's not a class they offer. They only get into social media when they do rookie rookie symposiums or when the NFLPA rep comes and talks to your team at the facility, and the 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 death of it is, you know, making sure you know everything you put on social media is endorsed by you, you know. So a like is an endorsement, a retweet is an endorsement, and, and then just the 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 conduct you should have on social media, right? Not not being able to uh, control yourself when you have a bad game, and some you know random guy with no Twitter picture tells you know your mom. F and sucks, and you not retaliating and, and, and really taking your anger, you know, because you're a brand as well and you're a representation of that organization. So things like that, just you know, housekeeping, but nothing as far as maximizing it and, and being able to use it uh, to your 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 highest potential and effectively.
1: It's mostly fear based, right? It's like, hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't right, right, don't ruin our brand, but not right. like, hey. Also, there's this whole aspect of it where it can help you out and it right. and can provide some money and, and it'd be nice if the, you know, cause I was in those meetings too with uh, the Knicks PR team and they would go over mm-hmm. that stuff, which is important too, of course, there certainly would be some education and, and some opportunities that you could at least present to athletes and say, listen, there, this is available to you. You have a platform. You don't have to go to these other ones. Sponsors will come and pay. And then that's right. another way to generate some revenue for yourself. Perfect segue into Name image like this. So, you know, the the idea that Ed O'Bannon basically changed that whole landscape with college teams and being able to put uh, or sell player jerseys with their names on the back of them. Um, obviously, the video game. And he's, you know, been battling this in court for what, decades now, I feel like. It's been a long time. And then now for this NIL sort of ruling to come down. And for now, college athletes, too, they're going to look at a landscape and saying, well, wait a minute. I can now build out my brand much earlier and it doesn't just have to fall in line with what the college university is. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, NIL and, and how that's kind of changing the game now?
2: Yeah, I think it's I saw an example the day actually, of how it's changing the game. And I think colleges will be smart to get ahead of it because it's inevitable, right? And athletes are using their voices nowadays, even at a, at the collegiate level. Like Trevor Lawrence spoke about Black Lives Matter when Dabble still hasn't, you know, gaming said Black Lives Matter, you know. So being able to realize you're you're the most sought after player for the past three years and you haven't been eligible for any of those three. So being able to uh, jump ahead of that, right? And I saw USC they have a um, something Boulevard, right? So they have like a red carpet where these. I
1: just sent that to Keith today. Yeah, yeah. So these yeah, student athletes great. are
2: being able to get partnerships or get at least exposure to the Hollywood scene if that's what they want to do and. And um and that's going to become big for those guys because of recruiting, because of athletes knowing that, well, I can go to USC. It might not be the same, you know, degree when I step in a boardroom as Stanford or you know, uh UCLA, but at the same time, I can take this advantage and and use this to push my career at their football. And so uh I you see it with Nebraska as well. So that's where Will Compton went to college. Open doors, their uh guy is from Nebraska as well. So Nebraska, you know being able to to get ahead of that and really use that as, as a recruiting pitch. And especially USC is a great example because when I was in high school, USC was Reggie Bush and, and all those guys, uh, Matt Leinart and, and Mark Sanchez, and that's when they were at the you know top of their game. And now it's the Clemsons, the Alabamas, and you don't really hear much about USC. So using that as a recruiting pitch and, and kind of changing the culture there I think is an interesting dynamic that will take place when colleges have to step up, right? Because now USC can offer 10 times more than – Clemson in their putt-putt, uh, indoor facility. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah, It's, so, it's, it's going to be an arms race, right? Like right, it's not yeah. only just the gyms now and the, the weight rooms that are going to attract right. the, the players. It's the other stuff too. Um, Brandon, finally, we'll get you out on this. And I just, you know, I, uh, I'm a big fan of like Tim Ferriss's podcast. He always asks, you know, his guests what their routines are, what their daily routines are. As a, a athlete like yourself, and also involved in all the other elements and business and what you're up to with the podcast, what is a day in the life of Brandon Chubb like? What are you up to? What are some of the routines that you like to follow, and and kind of the life that you lead now?
2: Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. I uh, started a venture capital firm two months ago, and what my firm is, is is we're investing in early stage companies. We're using this to create value for our investors and using our leveraging our platform, right? Leveraging the shield to be able to win these deals, get deal flow, get access to great opportunities, be able to get co-investment opportunities for our LPs. And also on the on the opposite end, our LPs are our professional athletes, right? Because they have higher accesses to capital at an early age. They have platforms that can actually add value to these companies we invest in. And so really just creating an ecosystem where both of those can live and be mutual, mutually beneficial to each other. And so me being a free agent right now, my days are I wake up, work on venture capital stuff and and we're, we're launching a fun quarter one of twenty twenty one so a lot of that work is happening right now, right the pitch deck, the funds, the getting the deal source uh checking out the deals, getting more deal flow, talking to investors, and really really doing all the all the uh, steps and so my my day is you know wake up. Do that for five or six hours, depending on how busy and how uh, how many emails I have, or how many you know meetings or whatever, and then work out. I work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Stay in shape, uh, and I think that's a stress reliever for, for me as well. Just to get my mind away, get uh, some uh, some stress out, but also feel good about yourself because I think that's important, especially in, in, in COVID. Right, being able to kind of move around and when you're stuck in the house and everybody has their home office now as you two guys have great home offices yeah. I can see in the background. And so um yeah and and then get back to work. And I'm I'm the type of person that I can't just really lay around. I can't really just watch four hours on Netflix and not feel like shit even if I was that's where know. we differ Brandon. Brandon <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Everybody's different my wife is you know there's nothing wrong with it. My wife is the same way, right? And and so she'll watch, you know two or three episodes and I'm just like, babe, we got to do something else. Like I got to, you know, I, I got to do something right. So uh, just working on that, working on um, myself as well, just, you know, working out and in, in yoga, but also self-reflection, making myself a better person, whether that's being, you know, a better podcast host, a better you know, teammate, uh, athlete, brother, husband, whatever that is. So that's kind of the daily life right now. So
0: listen, where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? What should people look for? I mean, you mentioned the venture capital firm, but what's next for for Brandon Chubb? What's out there that people should be looking for?
2: Yeah, I think that venture capital firm is what's next. It's called Captain Partners. Um, That's going to be something that I think is the next career for me, right? And being able to be uh, a 56-year-old and still investing in early stage companies. But at uh, a five hundred million dollar fund size instead of a five hundred thousand dollar fund si- size, which is what we're doing right now. So that's uh, next. You can find us on Instagram at, at Captain Partners. Uh, like you mentioned, the highlight podcast is something I'm gonna come back into season two. COVID kind of messed me up because I like to do all my you know interviews in person, but obviously travel is not the same anymore. So that's at the hlp and then chubb foundation my nonprofit that me and my brother co-head uh where we invest in atlanta and denver communities and the surrounding you know communities uh with our youth and and, and kind of mentoring health and education and wellness so those are the three things you could check out for me my instagram personally is at chubb as well
1: that's a wrap for this week thanks for listening to the we need to be doing that podcast Visit we need to be doing that for more episodes and contact information.